0: Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. The Holy Gospel according to John, the 14th chapter. Jesus said, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe. The gospel of the Lord. Be Please be seated. God. Grace to you and peace from our living Lord, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for your welcome this morning. Uh, I was telling someone at the 927 service that my husband and I were guests last week at a church I will not name here. We tried three or four doors before we found one that was unlocked. Um, and um, first door this morning, so <laughs> for the winds. And the reception has been just as welcoming. Thank you also for your prayers and your gifts and your capacity to see who God may be calling into ministry. Lutheran Theological Southern Seminary is grateful for your partnership in all of these ways. I've been thinking this week about your Easter series and the ways that lives are turned around. In the reading from Acts this morning, which is mostly my text, I'll be speaking on themes of second chances, strange timing, and surprising outcomes. First, second chances. During the time that we could not have chapel together on campus because of COVID, We had a variety of online worship services, as you can imagine. One of them, uh, a speaker or a preacher, uh, the preacher for the next week, actually, would look at the texts for the following week in chapel, in Eucharist, or I guess we didn't have Eucharist, but in the preaching service. And that person would ask us a couple of questions about the texts, and then we would go into small Zoom rooms to talk about them. So one of the texts was one of those places where Jesus says, do not be afraid, just like he does in this morning's gospel reading. And our question for little groups was, what are you afraid of? The people in my small group started out with answers like the ones I was thinking about. Someone was afraid of the way we all seemed so quick to anger after so many months uh, isolated from one another. Someone else was afraid of getting COVID and passing it on to their little grandson, actually. Another person said that with all their responsibilities, you know, work and school, homeschool and family, they were afraid of disappointing people who counted on them. When it came time for the last person in our group to speak, she said, I'm afraid of my life not being aligned with the perfect will of God. And I thought to myself, well, that's different. You know, it sort of raises the stakes a little from being afraid of disappointing someone. That concern was different from the others, and it got to the heart of the matter, I suppose, for all of us. We want our lives to be the life God wants for us, and we're not sure it is all the time. This is the concern the apostles have throughout the book of Acts, They want to be faithful, and in each new situation, they have to figure out what faithful means. In the verses just before our text from this morning, they're trying to figure out where to go, and the the Spirit keeps saying no. And Luke, uh, when he writes this, says, you know, the the door was shut for us in various places, uh, geographies, but then a vision happens. and they eventually get there. Second chances, I'll talk about the vision in a minute. The apostles try things that don't work, and then they try other things. Here, God is always on the side of a bad idea, on the other side, I mean, or a bad decision, calling them to the next place, even if the route they took to get there isn't exactly a straight line. When the map finally comes into focus for the apostles, it happens dramatically. Paul has a vision in the night. Come over to Macedonia, a man says, and help us. And so he tells this vision and everyone with him decides it's right to do that. Finally, finally they're on the right path. They've found the right destination. They get there quite directly with no storms or shipwrecks or anything else. Um, as they travel and then nothing happens for a while. Strange timing. Luke writes, we remained in the city for some days. The apostles are playing a game of hurry up and wait. Sometimes we feel like that too. Here I am, ready for Jesus to turn my life around. And then it takes longer than you think it should or nothing seems to be changing for a while. I think about the new pastors and new leaders in a congregation. Not always, and certainly not with Pastor Lori and Pastor James, but sometimes um, with some of our graduates, it takes a little time for their wisdom to catch up to their energy. I know something about this from my own life. I uh, myself once heard the story of a call uh, committee interviewing one of our new seminary graduates who said to them, I'm ready to transform a congregation. And he was puzzled when everyone's eyes widened (laughs) around the table. Uh, The call committee knew it is possible to be so driven by a vision of transformation that you kind of forget to, like, learn people's names before you transform them. Paul and Silas wait for some days in Philippi. The pause in the action is odd, strange timing, after that clear, clear vision. But there it is, they wait. Then when things start moving again in the story, the apostles, and we too, are in for some surprises. Paul usually goes to the synagogue to preach, but he doesn't do that here. He goes to the edge of town by the river apparently sort of an open-air area for prayer. And he finds there, not the men he would find in the synagogue, but a group of women. And he and Silas and Luke and the others join them in prayer. One surprise follows another. They find Lydia, not the man who was in the vision, come over to Macedonia and help us. And Lydia herself isn't even from Macedonia. She's in Macedonia, but she's actually in one of those regions that the Spirit wouldn't allow them to go into. She's from Thyatira, and she's a foreigner then, and a person of wealth. She deals in a luxury good, purple cloth, and she has a household with enough space to offer hospitality to the apostles. And it may be a surprise, though, if you're female, it might not be, that she's really interested in the gospel. She loves listening to these men speak, and she loves to hear about Jesus. She and her whole household are baptized. Lydia is not what Paul's vision looked like. Oftentimes, when we're discerning the next step for ourselves or our congregation or even just a project, at work. We long for a vision as vivid as that one Paul had. But then after Paul and Silas get that and the vision is fulfilled, they still have surprises ahead of them and must be open to the unexpected. Lydia is a divine surprise for the apostles, and they are for her. She listens just like the Ethiopian eunuch had listened to Philip and asked to be baptized. She listens just like Cornelius, the Roman centurion, had listened to Peter, and then his whole household received the Holy Spirit and baptism. The Spirit works by means of talking and listening. Lydia is baptized and offers her hospitality. We know only a little more about her. She only appears one more time in Scripture. It's at the end of this chapter of Acts, after Paul and Silas have gotten into trouble in Philippi and gotten beaten and thrown in jail and then argued with the magistrates, and finally they've been let go, and they arrive back at Lydia's house. They are foreign troublemakers now, and she takes them in as brothers that they are. Well, what shall we make of Paul, Silas, Lydia, and all the turns in their story? At least this. When the risen Jesus turns our lives around, and he does, very little about that turn is tidy. Living in the risen life of Jesus includes still making wrong turns and receiving second chances. The pace and the timing of life in Christ are different from what we expect. Things are faster than we can keep up, or they seem not to be moving at all. And still the Spirit is leading. And those people God puts in our path rarely look the way we thought they would. Through all of it, the Spirit is in two places at once, at least. The Spirit is with us, and the Spirit is in those we meet. You know those speeded-up videos of a flower, like a bud that becomes a flower in just a few seconds, time-lapse photography? That's how I sometimes feel at the seminary, like everything is changing fast. These days, students come to seminary from college, the way I did years ago, and then much later as well, from all sorts of walks of life. Engineers, lawyers, software designers, exercise scientists, these people come for theological education and because they're discerning, they're feeling, they're figuring out a call to ministry, to bear the word of God into the world. And the way they come together for seminary is changing too. Some of them live and study on campus. I remember thinking some of the best conversations I had about the inner life of the Holy Trinity were happening when I had toothpaste on my toothbrush in the dorm bathroom, you know? Well, those conversations still happen, but it also happens that we have conversations on Zoom and in other kinds of asynchronous learning online. Some of these students come to campus for just a few days each semester and then spend the rest of their time in their other vocations as they study and do field ed where they are placed, not necessarily in Columbia or Lexington, South Carolina. Just like church leaders and business leaders, those of us at the seminary wonder about new things, new directions like Paul and Silas figuring out their direction. Is this the way we should go? Sometimes doors open, sometimes we cannot get them to budge. We rush to get something new going, and then two years of a pandemic happen, and all the momentum kind of drains away. We thought we were building something for a particular market or group of people, and then a whole different group of people have an interest in it. Someone has said that life can only be understood looking backward, but you can only actually live it looking forward, and there's some truth to that. Maybe this is why we have all the stories we have in scripture, so we can look back at someone else's experience of the spirits leading and trust a little bit more in real time what we cannot yet see. The Spirit was guiding Paul and Silas, even when they weren't getting it quite yet, redirecting them when needed, already on the road ahead of them, with a group of women meeting for prayer before Paul and Silas even got to Philippi. I know how uncertain things are right now We have um, an economy that's, I don't know, anxious. Uh, Our world is watching a war um, that we don't altogether understand our role in or where it will go. And of course, in our own country, people are opening fire because of someone's skin color. I know how uncertain things are and how difficult it is. I don't want to be facile with this idea that Jesus turns us around. I also know that Jesus does, in fact, turn our lives first to him and then to our neighbor, where we meet Jesus again. Take heart. The risen life of Christ is ours to share with him and ours to give away as well. The Holy Spirit of Christ will show us the way.